Good morning, everyone. We're so excited that you're here. Uh, if you didn't come, there wouldn't be... Well, I guess I could still come and worship the Lord by myself, but it was real, sure good to do it with, with you guys. And I just want you to look around you, uh, look around at all these beautiful works of art. Every single one of these pieces of paper were put together by two young men and their father, and these are all things that God is. Now, this is, this is not an all-inclusive list, but this is pretty thorough, pretty thorough, and they have put a lot of work and, and effort into it, and you know also that God is creative. I mean, look, at, or look around you, look at the people next to you, and just say, God is pretty creative. When he made you, he knew what he was doing, all right? <laughs> and so... We're so excited that you guys are here. We're so excited that this morning we get to celebrate a, a dedication, a baby dedication. And we want to go ahead and have Sean and Megan come on up. And they are bringing with them Oliver Allen Wiest. So everybody say, oh, I know you want to. I love the fact that Oliver and I have, Oliver and I have the same haircut. So that's, that's exciting, at least for now anyway. He's probably going to end up with great hair like his father. If it, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Well, you guys, come on in. And so um, we, we believe that, that in, to dedicate babies before the Lord, but it's, it's really more about dedicating ourselves to raising children in a way that's honoring to the Lord. And so there's a story in the Bible in 1 Samuel in chapter 1 where there was a woman named Hannah, and she was barren. She did not have any children, and she cried out to the Lord for a child, um, Year after year, she promised the Lord, if you give me this child, and I'll give him back to you. She needed this miracle um, of this birth. Well, Eli, the priest, saw her praying and told her to go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. In the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When Samuel was old enough to be weaned, she took him back to Eli. She said that she prayed for him, and the Lord granted what she had asked. So now I give him to the Lord. For, this, for his whole life, he will be given to the Lord, it says. It was said that Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. He grew in stature and in favor with him and with, in favor with people. Now, obviously, we're not asking uh, Sean and Megan to give Oliver to us to raise. I've already done that. <laughs> That's their job. But, but we as a church are asking them to give him to the Lord so that we can watch him grow and become a man after God's own heart. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to anoint his forehead with oil in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray for him. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your son Jesus. Sean and Megan prayed, and you gave them what they asked for by giving them Oliver. May he grow into his name as an affectionate lover of people, and a young man that holds out peace to others like an olive branch. Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 9, that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And we pray that that is exactly what Oliver will be, a peacemaker in his life. I pray that his whole life will be given over to you, Lord, as a living sacrifice. I ask that he will not conform to the pattern of this world, but he would be transformed by the renewing of his mind. God, I pray that he will know the plan that you have for his life. I ask, Lord, that Oliver will grow in stature and find favor with you and with people. May he remain in your presence all the days of his life. May he know how much you love him. I also want to say a special prayer for Kinsley. 
help her see the privilege that she has of being Oliver's big sister. Guide her to be a godly example for him all of his days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So then I ask Sean and Megan to, kind of like as they said vows to one another at their wedding, they will say this vow as a prayer to raising Oliver. So just repeat these words after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our son. Like Hannah offered Samuel, we dedicate him to you today. Help us with our weaknesses and our imperfections. Give us strength and wisdom to be godly examples. Lord, please protect our marriage. Keep Oliver walking on the path that leads to eternal life. Lead him not into temptation and deliver him from evil. Lord, we commit to raise him for the glory of your name. Cause his life to forever testify of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll give him a hand. So now our responsibility as a church, every time that you see them and you see Oliver and you watch him grow, like as, a, like as a pastor, one of the greatest things to do is be able to watch people grow up and watch them continue to serve the Lord so you can encourage them and spur them on and clap for them as they raise Oliver and, and help them do that in whatever way that you can, whatever way that God has called you to do. And so, um, so it's a great honor to be able to share that moment with them. And we know that, uh, like, uh, I used to work for American Airlines, and we'd always say, well, you know you have a choice in airlines, and thank you for choosing um, to fly on American Airlines. We know you have a choice of where you could spend your time this morning, and we're glad that you chose to spend it with us. Today, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about God. I mean, we're in church. Seems relevant, right? We should talk about God. And, uh, and, and you can look around, you can already see, like, these signs kind of preach a message all on their own. We could spend, we could spend a week on every single one of these, these topics. But I wanted you to think about this thought. What comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about you. This was actually a quote from A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you think about God... That affects every area of your life. And think about it. If, if we think that God is like my earthly father, we think he was an alcoholic and he never was in my life. So we think he's absent, right? He's an absent father. Or we may think that he was a little bit of a tyrant. He's angry at you most of the time, and then you're always living in fear of him, afraid that you're going to mess up and he's going to come down on you. Or you might think that, well, God is, as I allude to later on in the sermon, that God is this, this frail, old, benevolent man who really doesn't care if we sin. He doesn't take really life seriously, and he just kind of like, well, do whatever you want to do, and, and you'll be fine in the end. What we think about God changes everything about us and how we live here on this earth. It makes a huge, huge difference. Well, as a church, we have a belief statement, and the belief statements are on the seats randomly. If you haven't got one of those, just look around and see where it, as our core beliefs, 
And we believe that God is, there's only one. And only one true and living God. We believe that that's the case. We are a monotheistic church. We believe in one true God. Now, there are some um, people who would believe that there are many gods. So they would be called polytheistic or polytheism. The worship or belief in multiple deities. And then, then also there is the word, a Greek word called atheos, which means without God. So there are people who are atheists who believe there is no God. And so I was thinking about this in a kind of a funny way. I was making a, a, a service or a, a phone call to Microsoft Office trying to get Microsoft Office downloaded onto my daughter's laptop. And I'm glad, I, I'm, glad I'm a patient man. <laughs> and I'm glad that I had some time to kill because it took what seemed like forever. And one of the most difficult things was is trying to spell my last name to these people in some foreign land. It's test, like you're taking one. Like I'm, you're testing me right now. Test, O-R, F is in Frank, F is in Frank. No, no, not S, F, Frank, Frank. And then they're spelling out Frank. I was like, oh, just, oh, it's driving me crazy. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, so like, if we're monotheistic, we believe that there is just one department, right? You just make a phone call, a real person picks it up, and they help you. It's an instant connection, right? Think about it that way. Wouldn't that be nice if that happened more often than not? But if you're polytheistic, then there might be many different departments that you could reach at any given time, and more than likely, it's not going to be the right one. So what are they going to do? Well, just hold on the line, and I'll transfer you over. And that's what they did to me two or three different times. And I'm like, like, oh, great, here it goes. At least now they ask for your phone number. Just in case we lose you, we can call you back. That's a nice little touch. But if we believe there's multiple gods, like how do we know that we have the right one? When we're praying, how do we know we're connecting to the right department? Because at first I got this department where like, well, you know what? That's not our area special. Let us connect you somewhere else. And then I was just praying, God, please let it be someone that speaks good enough English where I can understand them and they can understand me. And so that may be the way it is with someone praying to multiple deities. I hope I get the right one. And then if you're an atheist, then there's no answer. You can call, it's going to ring, and it's going to ring, and it's going to ring, and no one's ever going to pick up the phone because they're not there, or at least there's the belief that they're not there. Well, there's a very popular movie. I think it's very popular. It's been um, around just recently, and there's a clip from it that will kind of set up, set up our conversation, um, generate some good thought, and so I want you guys to check this. From the movie called God's Not Dead. How many of you have seen the movie? Raise your hand. Yeah, seriously. So this will be a refresher. That's what's said that evil is atheism's most potent weapon against the Christian faith, and it is. After all, the very existence of evil begs the question, if God is all good and God is all powerful, why does he allow evil to exist? The answer at its core is remarkably simple. Free will. God allows evil to exist because of free will. From the Christian standpoint, God tolerates evil in this world on a temporary basis so that one day those who choose to love him freely will dwell with him in heaven, free from the influence of evil, but with their free will intact. In other words, God's intention concerning evil is to one day destroy it. Well, how convenient. One day, I will get rid of all the evil in the world, but until then, you just have to deal with all the wars and holocaust, tsunamis, poverty, starvation, and AIDS. 
Have a nice life. And actually be lecturing us on moral absolutes. But why not? Professor Radisson, who's clearly an atheist, doesn't believe in moral absolutes. But his course syllabus says he plans to give us an exam during finals weeks. Now, I'm betting that if I manage to get an A in the exam by cheating, he'll suddenly start sounding like a Christian, insisting it's wrong to cheat, that I should have known that. And yet, what basis does he have? If, if my actions are calculated to help me succeed, then why shouldn't I perform them? For Christians, the fixed point of morality, what constitutes right and wrong, is a straight line that leads directly back to God. Oh, so you're saying that we need a God to be moral, that a moral atheist is an impossibility. No, but with no God, there's no real reason to be moral. I mean, there's not even a, a standard of what moral behavior is. For Christians, lying, cheating, stealing, in my example, stealing a great I didn't earn are forbidden. It's a form of theft, but if God does not exist, as Dostoevsky famously pointed out, if God does not exist, then everything is permissible. And not only permissible, but pointless. If Professor Radisson is right, then all of this, all of our struggle, our, our debate, Whatever we decide here is meaningless. I mean, our, our lives and ultimately our deaths are no more consequence than that of a goldfish. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So after all your talk, you're saying that it all comes down to a choice. Believe or don't believe. That's right. That's all there is. That's all there's ever been. The only difference between your position and my position is that you take away their choice. You demand that they choose the box marked, I don't believe. Yes, because I want to free them. Because religion is like a... It, it, it's, it's like a mind virus that parents have passed on down to their children. And Christianity is the worst virus of all. It slowly creeps into our lives when we're weak or sick or helpless. So religion is like a disease? Yes. Yes, it infects everything. It's the enemy of reason. Reason? Professor, you left reason a long time ago. What you're teaching here isn't philosophy. It's not even atheism anymore. What you're teaching is anti-theism. It's not enough that you don't believe. You need all of us to not believe with you. Why don't you admit the truth? You just want to ensnare them in your primitive superstition. What I want is for them to make their own choice. That's what God wants. You have no idea how much I'm gonna enjoy failing you. Yeah, but who are you really looking to fail? Professor. Me? Or God? Some interesting discussion that could go along with that. And we could spend a lot of time debating, <laughs> but, but one of my thoughts for this morning is I'm not here to prove the existence of God, because he doesn't need my help in order to do that. But we believe that God is the sovereign creator and the sustainer of all things. In the beginning, in the very beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God, the Elohim, the mighty God of Israel. The, the, the word God in that particular sense doesn't even have a history because it's so new. There's no etymology for that where you can't even trace the word. Where did it come from? It's just, it was the beginning. It's the first time God was named in scripture and it says that he created the heavens and the earth. One particular pastor said this, the most controversial statement ever made in mankind. Because it all hinges upon whether you believe that or not. 
interesting in the film clip where he says that Dostoevsky, whatever his name was, said there is no God. If there is no God, all things are permissible. Did a little bit of research on that, and some some scholars would say he didn't even really say that. Like it was somebody else who said that particular phrase, and they even took it a step further to say if God is not existent, like if He's not there, then not only are all things permissible, but therefore all things are possible. With this idea of saying, well, if there's no God, then anything is possible. Like, the, the, the shackles are removed and the, the chains are gone and we're free to do whatever we want. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could just live that way? What if right now we all decided that let's just do whatever we want? Where would that get us? Well, watch the news and you could see what happens when people just do whatever they want. And they have no moral absolute. They have no guide for how to live. It's like a game without rules. Coaches in the room, what if they said, you know what, from now on, basketball has no rules. It's the strongest survive. <laughs> you know, you start preparing a little differently, Ryan, wouldn't you? You start teaching your team a little different strategy if there were no rules to go by. Interesting. If there's no God, then all things are possible. Really? Jesus says with man, it might be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And he's true. It comes down to, in the, in the clip, it comes down to this choice that we must make. As soon as we acknowledge the truth of the statement that there is a God, that God did create all things, we become accountable. And I think that's the fear of some man. Some women, they don't want to be accountable. Kids, have you ever felt like, man, if, if my parents just didn't exist, okay, that would work for a little while, then you would get hungry, <laughs> you would get sleepy, <laughs> you would you need things, you know, like if for a moment you think that'd be that'd be a good thing, but that's so not true. I think about this thought: man can be so arrogant or ignorant in avoiding being accountable to someone greater than themselves. Literally, it's pride at its extreme levels. Like, let's say, in one case, it is, um, you got pride that says, God is unworthy, compared to me, and I don't need him. The opposite end of that spectrum is to say, I am unworthy, and God doesn't want or need me. And those two statements are absolutely false. The reality is, is you're not unworthy. You're created unlike anything else ever created. If you read the story of creation, God creates man differently than anything else. He speaks things into existence, but for man, he breathes you into existence. To say, well, I don't need him. God is unworthy. God, God has proven to me that he cannot be trusted. Even if you look at all these things, that God is creator, he's a giver of good gifts, he's a father, he's a spirit, he's merciful, he's patient. We know all those things to be true. We can find some things in our life that we can say, well, you know, well, what about this? I know a precious friend of mine, his mom died of cancer. Is God really good? Why did he allow that to happen? I don't have all the answers to that. But I know the truth of these things about who he is. And I see God working even in the midst of the most difficult situations. God is there. So you have pride on both ends of the spectrum. 
The next statement is infinitely perfect and eternally existing in three persons. We, the Trinity, we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in Genesis 1.26, it said, let us make man, let us make man in our image. Who's God talking to? <laughs> if there wasn't someone else there with him at, at the beginning. Genesis 1.26. John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word there is the word, it means Logos, but it literally is Jesus, who was the Word made flesh. So Jesus is there with God in the beginning. Nothing was created except through Him. So there was Jesus. And then Scripture teaches later on in John about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit sent to man to live inside of them, to help them walk on this earth, to, to be reminded of the things that Jesus has taught. So there's this idea of there's more than just one. It's God who is one thing, but he's in three parts, three persons. And we believe that to be true. The next statement, God the Father is an infinite, eternal, wise, all-powerful, holy just, good, loving, and all-knowing spirit. Okay, there, there you go. He's not an old man sitting on a throne. <laughs> He's spirit. Hovering over the face of the earth, over the darkness, when he decided to create something out of nothing. He's the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth. So I asked this question on Facebook the other day. I said, God is. And some people responded. And I, that's where I got all of these words, some ones that I came up with on my own. So look, just look around you. So we have good, he's redeemer, he's everlasting, he's slow to anger. God is slow to anger, but if you read in the Old Testament, there's times when he got angry. He got very frustrated with the way people were living, and people were, and suffered because of it too. But yet, almost every single time, right after his anger, it says, but God is compassionate and full of love, and he redeems mankind. It's like a parent who I used to swap my kids and then five minutes later, I'd give them some time and I'd go back in and then I'd tell them I love them. My son especially hated that part. He would bristle up and then after a while, I'd hold him for a while and he'd just kind of melt into my arms. And God does the same thing for us. He holds us. He loves us. He's, he's good. He's sovereign. He's pursuing us. Did you know God is pursuing you? behind you <laughs> you don't have to look behind you look around you look in front of you god is there constantly i believe all the time god is trying to get our attention sometimes he's sometimes it's real obvious sometimes you're like whoa i get it okay law that's enough lord i get it and there's other times you're like oh where is he and he's like i'm here just look around you look at oliver god is present <laughs> he's good and he's oh uh, what's bruce what's that word over there to your right God is hope. He's Father. He's Abba Father. There's Abba over here. Um, he's gracious. He's wisdom. He's a creative creator. I and mean, once again, look around. You see all the beautiful differences in each other. He is light, just, pure. He's an accountant. Do you know God's an accountant? God is better with your money than you are. Can I get an amen? God, God is God, you know, I think for us, God just doesn't 
give us any more than we need because he knows what we'll do with it. So he just like waits <laughs> and he waits till we wait. And then he's like, just shows up at the right time. Oh, and by the way, you're going to need this. And uh, when, I was a, when I was a teenager, my brother lived in Arkansas. And I, uh, my mom, it was like my first big adventure, you know, Brady's big adventure. It could have been like a little short story. And I was off on my own and I was driving down there. And uh, I just got hired at American Airlines, and so I had, my, I, had a, I had a checkbook. Anybody know what those are? Checkbook, anyone? <laughs> Students, you have no clue, all right? It won't be long, and you won't even need anything but this right here, and you can just pay for everything on your phone. But then if someone asks the question, well, what happens if you lose your phone? <laughs> well, you're in trouble, so don't lose your phone. All right, so I had this checkbook, and I stopped. I was tired. I was driving. I should have stopped and got some rest, but I just like, no, I'm a, I'm a man. I can do this. I don't need rest. So I kept driving, and I stopped somewhere, and in my, like, exhaustion, I left my checkbook at this gas station. And I get to Arkansas as my brother's wedding. Yeah, it was my brother's wedding. And I was bummed because I wanted to buy this, and I wanted to buy that, and, but I didn't have my checkbook, so I couldn't buy anything because there was no such thing as a debit card back then. And, and I should have had some cash, but I didn't. And I didn't really buy anything. My mom was there, so my mom, like, helped me out again. You know, moms never stop being moms. And so... Um, I got home, and someone found my checkbook and mailed it to me. Listen to this. They mailed it to me, and there were some bills that I had forgotten about that I wouldn't have been able to pay if I would have had my checkbook and because I would have spent all that money. And God's like, no, I'll take care of it for you. I'll just hold on to it. I'm, I'm a good savings account, and I'll send it back to you right when you, because Brady, you're an idiot, all right? Let me just tell you, that's just the way it is. And nothing's changed other than I've gotten a little bit older and have a little bit more money to play with, but not much. <laughs> but it's good. So God is he's so, he's merciful. God is a consuming fire. We don't like to think about God that way, <laughs> except when he consumes the ugliness of our life. He consumes our sin. Because <laughs> fire brings purification. Fire is a good thing. God's big. And we're small. I'm going to show you this picture. Some of you might have seen it before. I'll get it, Ginger. I'll get it. Get it. Ginger is like a loner to sleep over there. That's us. Million miles away. Millions. The Hubble telescope looks back, takes one more picture. And in one strand of light in one universe, that's the planet Earth. If you ever think you're big stuff, compared to God, not really. It's humbling, isn't it? It's humbling, but it's also awe-inspiring to me that God would consider this blue dot worthy enough to send his son to. And we'll talk more about that next week when we talk about Jesus. Fascinating thought to me. And we might be tempted to think, if God is so big and he's so distant, Maybe that's why I feel like sometimes he's so far away. 
A.W. Tozer, in the book called The Pursuit of God, says, we never need to shout across the spaces to an absent God because He's nearer than our own soul, closer than our most secret thoughts. That's how close God is. Now remember when I said earlier that I'm not here to prove the existence of God. I'm not a scientist. I don't have any like archaeological evidence that I brought with me today to show it to you. And you'd be like, oh, yes, that's what I needed. As soon as I saw that, now I know for sure that God is real. Besides, there's a quote that says, trying to prove God is like defending a lion. A lion doesn't need your help. All he needs you to do is just unlock the cage. He'll take care of himself. Look at Psalm 19. We talked about Psalm 19 last week when we talked about God's Word. God doesn't need me to proclaim His existence because the heavens do it themselves. Psalm 19. If you, have, if you don't have a Bible, there are, we do have some Bibles laying around if you need one. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voices go their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Some would say the chief cause of man is to know God and to make Him known. Wouldn't that just change everything if we realize, you know what, the reason why I'm on this little blue dot is to know God who created it. And then if I realize that I am supposed to then let other people know Him through me, that gives my life purpose and meaning. Even in the midst of most difficult circumstances where we, we, we doubt or question or whatever, God can still use that. Not only can He still, He wants to. I don't know how many different lives have been touched as a result of Todd's pain going through his mother's death. But many, many different lives. Because I believe life comes out of death. God makes it that way. Because we were created for life in the beginning. When God created man and woman, he created them to live, not to die. Not to experience the stuff that we have to experience. But the reality is he gave us free choice. He let man choose. Because God wants you to choose to love him. He does not want to make you love him. That's not love at all. I can't make you love somebody. I mean, parents, we don't have to make them love Oliver. This <laughs> is... It's just inherently in born in, there's no way. They can't help but love him. Now, he'll test them when he's about 16. It'll be awesome. <laughs> They'll be like, I love you, but I don't really like you very much right now. You know? And uh, it might be said the same for God. God says, I love you, but I really don't like what you're doing right now because it's going to hurt you. 
Listen, look at Romans chapter 1. Another thing, this idea of creation testifying. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Another picture that God does take sin seriously. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. One of the signs says, God is not a secret. He's not trying to hide himself from us. Now, I know some of us wish we had more of like a neon sign, like, bing, bing, I'm here. (laughs) Some of us would even still miss that. (laughs) For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Man, Brady, if God would just show himself to me, then I would believe. Man, if God would just do this, like I'm setting up some kind of like um, ultimatum with God, the creator of the universe. I mean, read Job 38 and watch Job, watch God just <laughs> argue with Job and say, dude, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there? Did you help me do that? Who are you to question me? But man has no excuse to say, well, I can't see you, God. Man, if you would just do this in my life, then I would believe. You know what? We're fickle people. No, we won't. I mean, look, I was talking to, to Ryan Campbell just the other, yesterday, and like, man, the Royals, the best season they've had in years, and people are still booing. What, how much is enough? Like, can we just be happy? We do that the same thing with God. God shows up, great victory in our life, and then a moment later, something bad happens, we start booing him. Really? Who is man that we could have that kind of, like, to sort of puff up our chest to God? God has made it plain to us so that we are without excuse. No man can say, well, I just wish, God, you had been a little more obvious. It's like, what, really? I don't know. How much more did you need? <laughs> I mean, just look at the, in the mirror and say, wow. Okay, compared to other people, maybe it's not so good, but man, God, you did good. You created me. My body is amazing. I can do things. I mean, Oliver was a peanut. <laughs> and now look at him. He's growing. Hey, buddy. He's checking me out. He's paying attention, all right? He's awesome. He's listening. He's, that prayer's already coming true. God is not an old, frail, benevolent man who winks at your sin and shrugs off your worship of other gods. God is jealous for you. He is. He wants the best for you, right? Isn't that true? Think about it. God wants the best for you, and sometimes that means he needs to spank you because he disciplines those he loves. But mankind, some anyway, have reduced God to the lyrics of this song. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. 
if God is just like us, then I don't want anything to do with him. Because if God's just like me, he's going to disappoint you. He's not going to come through for you. He's not going to be most of these things. Definitely consistently. Don't we want God to be more than just like one of us? Sometimes we, we worship God and we shape him into our image. That way he's more manageable. He's more comfortable. But yet, it says in Scripture, we were created in his image. We want to worship a God that is greater than us, right? His ways have to be higher than our ways. His thoughts must be higher than our thoughts. It's in Isaiah chapter 42. Okay, last, last place and we'll finish up. Acts 17. Okay, so Acts chapter 17, starting around verse 22, the Apostle Paul was in Athens, and he had the opportunity to stand before some great thinkers of the day, you know, these men who, who've said that they would just sit around and think up great thoughts. <laughs> Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, doesn't it, you know, all the things we could think, <laughs> In verse 22, it says, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. They're polytheistic. They want to make sure they had all their bases covered, so they just put that one in there to make sure that one didn't get left out. To an unknown God. So Paul says, so you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one, from one man, it says, he made all of the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Do you understand that God has appointed this time for you, this day? He knows exactly where you are right now. He knows exactly where you live. He knows where your house is. He knows all of the items in your home. He knows your heart, and he knows your thoughts. That's comforting and scary all at the same time, isn't it? It is for me. God did these things. Listen, this is why he did it. So that you would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have all of our being. As some of your own poets have said, Paul said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. We cannot make God. He is uncreated, existing before. He's here now. He will last forever. God or man did not make God. In the past, it says God overlooked such ignorance 
But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to us or proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead, which is a great segue into who Jesus Christ is, who we'll talk about next week. But the reality is, is God has done all these things so that we would seek him and that we would find him. And we'd realize he's right here with us right now. And he's calling all men, all women, all people to repent, to turn around, to walk differently, to think differently about who he is to seek him and worship him differently maybe than ever before. That's why he created you. You were created to worship him. That's it. Number one reason. But yet, we get so distracted by all of the shiny things of the world, right? So distracted. We worship those things. We worship sports teams. We worship, and you say, no, I don't, no, I don't. Well, think about how much, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your energy? And we think from those things, we can get from those things, but from what only God can give us, like somehow the encouragement or the peace or the the happiness or whatever. And we find out those things after a while or like like children's toys. They're fun to play with for a while and then they wear out or they break or you lose them. But God is eternal. He's not going anywhere. He's present with us here right now. The worship team will come and... uh, We'll worship together one more time. And so, so my challenge and my question is not even so much have you been convinced today that God exists? Or do you need more evidence or whatever? As if there wasn't enough evidence all around you. But do you believe and what you believe about God changes everything about your life. And I want to encourage you to spend this time in prayer. After we are done um, this morning, obviously we'll, we, we're, we'll be around to, to encourage you and to pray with you. And so I want to just pray right now as, you, as the team gets ready to, to lead us. So Father in heaven, the creator of all things, the creator of me. You've done all these things that I would seek you. So Lord, right now, I just pray for us here in this room. If there's someone here this morning that has never truly sought after you, Lord, they have never repented of their disbelief, repented of sin in their life and, and turned around and walked the other way, to walk towards you, God. The Bible says that if we draw near to you, Lord, you'll draw near to us. And so, God, I pray this morning if there's someone here that have never turned their heart over to you and put their faith and trust in your son, Jesus, I pray that they would. I pray that they would realize the truth that you created them to know you and intimately personal way and that out of as a result of them knowing you God they can help others find you too we are your advertisement in this world 
Help us to love like you, to love others, to love ourselves. I pray that'd be the case this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just want to finish with this blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I want to encourage you to stay around and visit if you can and just get to know each other and be reunited with some, some old friends. It's so great to see Darius and Drika here. I've watched these kids grow up since they were small. Not quite as small as Oliver, but you know, they were small. Um, it's, man, I, I just like, I thank God. I get to do this. Every week I get to do this. It's just great. It's amazing. We do have an opportunity for you to give as you leave this morning. Also, if you're a guest this morning, please fill out the, uh, the, the welcome card with your information on there. I really value that so that I can connect with you and just get to know you more and we have a way to contact you to let you know about all the things that are going on and coming up here at the church. Um, by the way, if you have been seeing anything about the tabernacle, this experience out at the um, First Baptist Church hosting this event, it's out on 371 out by the park. It's going to be this massive tent set up like a, a true tabernacle of the, in the Old Testament. And it's a 55-minute like, interactive experience. You put on headphones, and it takes you through this worship experience. And I think it'll be powerful. It's, uh, they travel all over the United States doing this, and they brought it here. And I want to encourage you guys to check that out. I'm going to go on Friday and get a preview and see what it's like. I'll have a report for you next Sunday, and it goes on for a week and a half or so, I think. And then also later on today is the, uh, the Missouri Photo Workshop thing. You guys seen that? There's some information about that going. They're having like a free meal. Dan, you know, where, where is that? It's plat- front of the middle school. Yeah, okay. There'll be a tent set up there. They'll be having hot dogs and hamburgers, and you're getting to meet these, all these photojournalists in town. They're taking pictures of our community. And so go with a smile. It, but uh, go with a smile on your face. You might get your picture taken. You might be in the display. That would be awesome. All right, so bless you guys, and we'll uh, see you next week. Thanks.